2: welcome to mlb daily your one-stop shop for daily baseball content i am l j lafura alongside me i've got brandon Caram, and we are a belly up sports podcast we are what they aren't brandon how you doing
1: lj i'm doing good um watching justin verlander pitch currently um a great actually a great slate of games today on June 1st, um, with games pretty much all day and all night tonight. I'm so excited to just strap in and uh, try to watch as much as I can. But, uh, LJ, we have, I believe, we wanted to do a little bit of like a leaderboard update today, and that's what we're going to get to um, later in the show. Just a few findings that we had uh, on some guys, is that right?
2: Yep, that'll be the start of our... Memorial Day breakdown, now that we are through the first good chunk of the season, we got an idea of what guys are doing, what's going well, what isn't, but first we're going to start with some more breaking news, and so we can follow it and enjoy it right now, Brandon, we do have a no-hitter ongoing. Edward Cabrera has no hits, nine strikeouts, and three walks through five innings for the Marlins currently.
1: Yes, and that is in game one of a double header. Um I was actually watching a bit of that game earlier. I saw Jazz Chisholm take Antonio Sanzatella deep, um, and the Marlins are cruising right now. Edward Cabrera though, um he is not pitched that much in the majors, I don't think. Sorry. Just turn the broadcast on. Yeah, I don't I don't think he has much experience. Um
2: No, it's just interesting because this team, you know, they definitely like, if they need, they're still obviously devoid a clear sense in the bullpen. You know, they really do need to go out and bring in a true like number one, number two, even if they want to start turning the corner here. And I believe we talked about that a little in our latest interview that aired on Sunday, if you want to go back and check that out. But yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, he's at 68 pitches through five innings. If this keeps going, I don't think it's going to be able to keep going with him alone. Who do you even who do you even decide to bring in at that point? I mean, is it Okert? Do you bring in Bass and try to get him through two innings? I mean,
1: I mean, really it, weird. is it There is like... some guys out, out out of this pen that I would feel somewhat comfortable with. <laughs> oh, it's not that
2: I wouldn't feel comfortable. I'm just not sure there's anyone that really like. It's not a, it's not a bunch of no brainers as to who you bring in to finish a combined no no.
1: Yeah, I mean they had a day off uh, yesterday, so you can really go to to anybody. Um, you know, it it all depends on what inning he ends up uh, getting pulled. But you might see a guy like Tanner Scott potentially in there if they if they have to face a couple of lefties uh, for Colorado. Um, and that's a guy who got traded from Baltimore and has some nasty stuff actually throws pretty hard as a lefty um but still yet to put it together um this year for the marlins um but yeah we will certainly keep an eye on this but another story that we've been keeping track of is this tommy fam jock peterson fantasy uh debacle where Tommy Pham goes and slaps Jock Peterson in the outfield prior to their game the other day, um, during batting practice. Tommy Pham gets, what, a three-game suspension for that?
2: Yes, yeah, a three-game suspension.
1: Three-game suspension. Um, this And he slapped him over a fantasy football d- debate, I guess. Like I don't even know what, what the words are, but LJ, if you want to give a little more context as to the new news that is that has is, uh, come about,
2: yeah, Tommy Pham is continuing to you know keep this going for no reason. I, I mean, let's let's start here. Tommy Pham is the only person perpetuating the story. Like this, this could have been done. Frankly, this could have been done last fall if he hadn't decided not to, not only to not understand how an injured list works in fantasy football, but also like just stop caring about this game that you're literally in. And it's not like, I mean, again, these guys do have money. So then maybe that maybe it is huge money. But I, I highly doubt it's that much money that they are putting into this more than like the average person, but the new discovery here is not only is Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson in this league together, but Mike Trout's the, in this league, not only is Mike Trout in this league, Brandon. Mike Trout is the commissioner of this fantasy football league, and Tommy Fam puts this very much, much of this right on Mike Trout's shoulders, saying, Just "quote Trout Mike did a Trout terrible for no reason." Dragging him in, quote Trout did a terrible job, man. Trout's the worst commissioner in fantasy sports because he allowed a lot of stuff to go on. He could have solved it all. I say, you know, taking out some of the Um. I I just don't see a reason you have to go and blame the commissioner of your league over literally nothing. He let nothing go on from everything we've come to understand. Um, And this isn't even something that he wants wanted to do i guess according to fam quote nobody wanted to be commissioner i didn't want to be the flipping commissioner i've got other stuff to do he didn't want to do it we put it on him it's kind of our fault too because we made him commissioner your fault forget yeah he didn't i don't i don't understand this at all brandon so far have been in any way shape or form rational but also like If you were Mike Trout, how do you handle this? As as a fantasy football commissioner yourself, how does this work?
1: I mean, uh, the fact that Tommy Pham doesn't understand that you can put players that are designated as out in your IR, um, that's just a, a very basic thing that you can do in fantasy and has never been an issue in our league, LJ. I don't think so, has it?
2: We've had issues, that just hasn't been it.
1: No, I mean, it also can. Can we say that I am better than Mike Trout at something, and that is being a fantasy football commissioner?
2: Um, who are we uh, ready to say that? More work,
1: who puts more work into being the commissioner for their league, me or Mike Trout?
2: I'm just saying your league has probably had more actual problems. Then this i'm kidding but of course but yeah i mean could you imagine how good would mike trout be if you wanted to put the work in
1: i mean prob- probably pretty good because he-, he can just spend a lot of money <laughs> and <Yeah>. throw an <laughs> insane draft party and you know <laughs> but yeah I-, I i don't know uh Mike Trout just gets dragged. Follow-up in.
2: question to that. How did how did this who else is in this league?
1: Yeah, who uh, who, who please someone find out I want to know everyone who's in this league.
2: Um, unfortunately, we have had a few technical issues and the end of that last segment about the fantasy football might not have been the most coherent we apologize but due to time constraints we're going to move you ahead further in the action
1: yes and hopefully the editing job that i do um on that file is not too bad and you're able to listen to it uh sorry as
2: and- long as the file's still there that was a very that was a very strange situation of tossing the host ship back and forth and just watch a- watch a- the entire beginning of the show just not be there this and if that's if that is what it is this is where we're starting Welcome yeah. to MLB Daily. I'm LJ <laughs> LaFiora. This is a belly of sports podcast. <laughs> All um, right. you, know, you know the rigmarole.
1: All right. Well, we're going to talk about uh, the Nationals. Who? Are we? Yes, LJ. We have to. Um, the Nationals, their GM, Mike Rizzo, has come out and said, we are not trading Juan Soto. They are 18-33. and 33. They have the second worst record in the National League, LJ. On our power rankings that we did yesterday, LJ, do you happen to remember where you ranked the Nationals?
2: Um, I want to say I had them like 26 or 27.
1: 26. <laughs> I had them well. 28th. Me and you are both extremely not confident in the team. And now they say we will not be trading Juan Soto away. LJ, take us through your thoughts here.
2: Um, Good for them. At least they're, you know... Look, I get you're trying to, like, tank the value of the team so it looks more marketable, and you end up getting better value because it looks like it should be selling on the cheap. I understand the theory there, but how does having the future of the game in your franchise hurt the value? Like, that's something that people aren't going to complain about that's a marketable star sitting right in your hands in one Soto. And so good on them for not trading them. I also don't see how this makes things much better. Yes. You're going to get an absolute haul. You're going to get some major um prospects and maybe even a few major league ready guys right now, but at the same time, they've got, they've got issues in things that need to be worked out now. So that they're at least tolerable. I mean, really realistically, what's going to happen if they try to trade them? they're going to just keep going with this hard on they have for pitching prospects and get like seven more of them. And uh, we're not going to see the end of Josiah Gray and Joanna Don's and the, whoever the future version of that is, who's going to sit out here and give you a four or five. at best. Hey, Strasburg's well. coming
1: back soon. LJ. I was watching some of the clips of his rehab. let's,
2: let, let's, let's not get into that one. Look, You've got Kiebert Ruiz and you've got Juan Soto. You've got Nelson Cruz and Josh. Bell. You have four high quality players on this team. At least keep those four for now. Or no, keep three. Keep three. Keep Ruiz, Soto, and Bell and ship Cruz out for whatever the heck you want at the end of the year. Just give your franchise some sort of direction because I just feel like we've seen them trade, do multiple trades now over the last couple years that are – Sending out high quality players for prospects, kind of starting out this rebuild. Really, since Rendon leaves and everything, twenty twenty was a really kickoff of that for them. I I don't see any return on this. I really don't. So look, so other than Ruiz, here's
1: if here's how I see the the Nationals. Right, it's like all right, you have you have um, Kibert, Ruiz, and. Soto and like that's your future. Josh Bell too. Um, you have these two insanely bad contracts with Strasburg and Patrick Corbin. But Strasburg, you know, he's still he's he's not even 34 yet. So you're hoping that you can at least get some innings out of him. Um, but he's getting paid through 2026. Sick. Corbin, Patrick Corbin is getting paid through uh, 2024. Right. And so it's like you have these bad contracts. But other than that, you have to re-sign Soto. The front office and the the new ownership eventually when they sell the team is probably going to want to invest money to begin with. um, That if you can get just a few of these prospects to work out for you and hopefully they do well in the draft lottery and they end up getting a high pick in next year's draft because um, there's really no no reason for them to be trying to compete in this NL East because um, they're certainly not as good as the Phillies. Um, and that's like what they should be shooting to be um, if they're trying to really contend in the next year or so. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just kind of how I see this.
2: Yeah, but what prospect is going to make enough of a difference? I mean, you've got not including Gilbert Ruiz because I mean he's he's up and he's staying up. He's been terrific for this team to start the year. But you've got Cade Cavalli, who's the 60th overall prospect, and then you don't have a single another top 100 guy or even got a fringe top 100. Your next best guy, you're talking about maybe four years away, and that's a, that's a guy who's got a power bat and nothing else in Brady House. I think from what I what I've been able to see, what I've heard. I mean, this is a guy who he's got 34 games in a ball, 28.7 strikeout rate, 400 sluggings. Fine. You know, he's an above average hitter so far, but it's just, this isn't anything that's really getting me excited in this prospects. Like you need somebody completely random to hit if this is going to be successful.
1: All right. Well, real quick, let's touch on Gene Segura. Um, he will undergo finger surgery, expected to miss 10 to 12 weeks. A huge blow to my fantasy team, um, and yeah, a big blow for the Phillies, who were already reeling. People want Joe Girardi fired. Um, this is this sucks for for uh, all the Phillies fans.
2: Yeah, this is again. Rough season, that's probably one of your more consistent hitters. You're talking about a guy who is just through and through is a uh, good contact hitter. And that type of thing is going to be able to be something that's consistent at minimum throughout your all of your other games. And when you go without that, you go without that in the middle of your order or top, because, I mean, he certainly played both sides. It's It's a real blow.
1: Absolutely. Um, well, let's get into what we wanted. What we want to do today, and that's our leaderboard update. Um, so we're not just gonna sit here and read off the stats um, on who's in first and second because you can go and do that yourself. But what we did was we just kind of looked up and down the leaderboards, saw, uh, you know. Looked at some interesting stuff, at least for me, for hitters and pitchers, and I picked out a couple of guys that I feel like uh, uh, people haven't been talking about enough and have some good takes uh, for, for that. But, uh, LJ, what did, what did you do when uh, we took about 25 minutes prior to the episode to, to
0: do this?
2: Um, first place I looked is I hopped right on Baseball Savant, and I went into their leaderboards tab, and I just started opening a bunch of tabs. Just different things. Honestly, a lot of spots I hadn't looked before or hadn't noticed are there now. And I found some really interesting situations. And do you want me to start out with for a first stat? Sure. Well, probably one of my favorite stats of all. Outs above average. You got to at least respect it here. And Brandon, your best defender in baseball. Have you looked at this page of late?
1: I have not.
2: Do you have any idea?
1: Mm, Jeremy Pena?
2: Close. He is tied for second with six outs above average. Jonathan Scope is the best defender in baseball. The Detroit Tigers second baseman has nine outs above average to start the year. Wow. That's with a success success rate added of 6%. That is, I believe, second most in the league, third most in the league. Right behind Alberto Mondesi and Brett Phillips.
1: Interesting, yeah, scope, and he certainly has not done well hitting this year, that's for sure.
2: No, he hasn't, but again, you can't complain with that much value added there. Now, on the other end of this, you got to talk about the bottom. In a tie for last, the worst four defenders in baseball, do you have any, any thoughts on who this might be?
1: Ooh, tie for last. Well... Is it, a, is, is it like a Castellanos or something?
2: No, he's not anywhere close to the bottom of this. Again, they've had... Actually, he's pretty close to the bottom. He is 240 currently. Tied yeah. tied it with a bunch of players at negative five. Uh, oh, it.
1: I saw something on Twitter uh, the other day. Uh, people were saying how Paul Goldschmidt has just been like awful this year in the field.
2: He is has the- been awful in the field. He hasn't been that awful. I will stray away from that. But we are yeah, talking about height high quality players here in a four-way tie for the worst defender in baseball Jonathan VR of the Chicago Cubs Alec Boehm of the Philadelphia Phillies Austin Riley of the Atlanta Braves and Trey Turner of the Los Angeles Dodgers
1: really Trey Turner that's a shock Um, to me
2: Trey Turner with a minus five percent success rate added on his year so based on the estimated success rate of the how easy the play should be and his own success rate of making the play he is converting less five percent less of the plays than he should that he should make is basically what that's telling you there
1: and this is a guy who was in the 82nd percentile of outs above average last year
2: yeah i mean again this is something that certainly can come up. But oh, at the same yeah, time, it's, it's
1: a lot easier to raise this than like than your, your your batting stats as you get later into this season.
2: Sure, but at the same time, he might be focusing in other spots. I mean, I haven't taken too much of a look on Trey Turner, but it hasn't been the greatest season. He's not setting the world on fire. I wouldn't be surprised if he's more focused on the other side of the ball. You know, you're talking about a uh, 128 OPS plus here this year. That's solid, but that's nothing compared to any of his last three years, Mm -hmm. two years. 2021 and 2020, way better numbers than what he's put up to begin this season. So, you know, he's got a lot to figure out in both situations. I think the fielding will probably be the last thing he focuses on.
1: All right. Um, I'm going to start off with two hitters that um, I just feel feel like have not been – Really getting enough appreciation. First is Ty France um, of the Mariners. He has been raking like the entire season. Um, he's seventh in weighted runs created plus among all hitters with at 178, so 78 percent better at producing runs than the average hitter this year. You're talking a 3.47 average, 4.20 on-base percentage, and a 5.08 slugging percentage. Um, you know, you see some of these top 10 of leaderboards, especially for stats like WAR, weighted runs created plus, and it's all big-name guys. I mean, for weighted runs created plus, Jose Ramirez, Mike Trout, Paul Goldschmidt, Aaron Judge, J.D. Martinez, Ty France in there, and then the next four. Manny Machado, Rafael Devers, Mookie Betts, and Jordan Alvarez. Very well-known and well-respected and uh, talked about in the media. Ty France is not one of those. That's the one guy that sticks out um, there. And we, we we need to start appreciating him. hes I, I don't know how much LJ appreciates this, but... A, strikeout percentage at only 11%. He's putting the ball in play a lot. He doesn't walk a lot though, which is why I think LJ wouldn't be as satisfied with him as most um, players. But LJ, I think that he turns um, enough of the non-strikeouts into um, very productive at-bats.
2: Oh, certainly. Let's move back to another defensive stat here. I decided to look a little bit more towards the outfield Brandon, let's talk about outfield jump.
1: Would you like to explain outfield jump?
2: I would absolutely explain outfield jump. So your jump is the first three seconds of the ball. So once the ball is put into the air and you start moving for it, the first three seconds, how many feet you cover. And this is broken down really three metrics based on the average player, the reaction time, which is the first second and a half, the first portion, the first half, literally, of that time when you're first reacting to where the ball is going. And the second is your burst, that first bit of sprinting when you know where you're going and you've made that decision. And ultimately, we got to look at who's the top, who are getting the best jumps on the ball here. And by quite a bit, it's Kyle Isbell of the Kansas City Royals. He's getting 6.8 feet versus the average player. That's, I mean, I, mean, I know that sounds like a lot, that there's no uh, comparison there. But for comparison, the next best is Kike Hernandez at 4.6. And there's a couple players in there, Jose Siri, Dalton Varsho, Brett Phillips are all around fours. And then it very quickly tapers off into, you know, a lot of decent defenders being around the two mark of jump. But looking further into this, just I I find this fascinating. The difference between these two guys, Hernandez and Isbell, at the top is TK Hernandez' fantastic reaction. He's getting 4.3 feet versus the average on that situation, compared to Isbell's 2.9. However, what really goes in Isbell's favor is the burst. You're talking about a 4.5 feet foot burst out of him which is by far the best in the league in terms of just that second and a half another big part of this is how efficient your route running is and that award is going to go to charlie blackman who i believe 0.8 is the metric on how close to the straight route the best direction to be going in to the ball is Ispel and Hernandez, both are not very good. They'd be about middling to low. They're below average in terms of the efficiency of their routes to start this season. Just interesting stuff. Again, I know there's not a lot of comparison there, but I find I find that fascinating, especially when you consider Ispel is in the 58th percentile of sprint speed to start the year, and yet he's getting that much on his burst.
1: Yeah, you know, that this is actually... Fascinating, and I've never seen this page before ever on, on on baseball. savant I really need to go on this side more. I mean, this is incredible that they can track stuff like this. But you look at some of the worst guys for their outfield jump: um Nick Castellanos, Jesse Winker, Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, Joe Adele. Um, just Joe Adele with player. the worst
2: reaction in the league. Again, why are we giving this guy more chances? <laughs> Worst further reaction,
1: out. second worst burst. He actually has a good route, LJ. Like his route, He's... yeah. It's easy
2: to have a good route when you stand there to figure out where the ball is going to be before you start running towards it.
1: <laughs> so you know, LJ, because um, we were talking how uh, Kyle Isbell, he actually has the 18th worst route in the league. Is it? And since he has such a good reaction, is he just running like? <laughs> so fast when the ball is off the bat that he's not even taking time to like see where the ball's actually going, but he just starts in a direction and he guesses right most of the time. So I mean, I that's guess. why he has such a good reaction. And then his burst might not be as good because he has to, you know, redirect to actually get to the ball. And then maybe that's why his route is not good because his path to the ball is not the best. I don't know. That's just a thought.
2: I think it's that you're, your thought there is a lot more on Kike Hernandez who has like ridiculous reaction time mm. in terms of coverage. And, but at the same time, can you really blame them? I mean, these are both no. guys who are yeah. way up there in terms of outs above average this year. I mean, you're talking about guys with three outs above, that's going to get the job done, especially with a lot of these outfielders that I believe the leader currently is five, Jake Marisnik and Brett Phillips both have five. So they're right in there. They're basically top 10, defenders in the outfield without even having a good route, especially consider you have to take take time to consider the fact that uh, Kike Hernandez, he's covering all this ground purely on athleticism. This is his second year playing center field. Yeah. Second full year. He's still able to get a decent, you know, you're talking about like middling overall route efficiency from these guys. But they're such freak athletes, such great athletes with such a good sense about it that they're able to figure it out.
1: All right, I want to touch on one more hitter, and that's Freddie Freeman. Um, he, he's ninth in war this year among all hitters, according to Fangraphs, with 2.2 slash line of 303, 395, 479. He's also been a fantastic base runner. Um, he's produced two. Base runs, above average. So, basically, he his base running has has uh, given the Dodgers two extra runs compared to what the average player would would uh, give you. And this isn't just stolen bases and caught stealings, but it's like, are they taking the extra base? Are they getting thrown out on the bases, um, like uh, getting picked off? Like. Um, how, how aggressive are you on the bases? It takes a bunch of different things into account and creates this base runs. And Freeman's been in the top 15 in the league this year for that. Um, and that's a big contributor to your war as well. But the hot take I had here, I had um, in my preseason rankings for first baseman, I had Freddie Freeman number one. And LJ had Vladdy number one. And Freddie Freeman has cleared Vladdy in most of these war leader in in, in, in these war leader boards. Um, and the weighted runs created plus leaderboard this year. Um, I seriously think you can still make the argument that Freddie Freeman is the best first baseman in the league, and then it's in fact not Vladdy. Because I feel like right now you go up to somebody and you ask them, everyone's just gonna say Vladdy, and and he's not played bad this year, but Freddie Freeman had a super underrated twenty twenty one and now is going way under the radar in twenty twenty two once again, um, because the spotlight has pretty much been on Mookie bets for the Dodgers this year.
2: Yeah, but that makes that makes some almost too much sense though that anyone I don't think he would have gotten picked even during his MVP year. If somebody went and was ask, asking around who's the best first baseman in the league, you're probably going to hear a lot of other answers not named Freddie Freeman purely just because that's kind of the player he is. I mean, the majority of his prime in Atlanta was spent with really bad Atlanta, bad teams. Like those Braves teams in the mid-2000s before Acuna got into his these peak years before they were a playoff team. It was really, really bad. And so no one was paying attention. And then you go to the Dodgers, and yes, those fans certainly respect him, but the national media, if you're on that team, you're not going to get cared about unless you are the best player. I mean, you don't even hear people talking about Trey Turner anymore. It's a very, you know, there's only so so much room for so many stars to get talked about and to get cared about on each team. And that's something that a lot of players have had to accept going to play for the Dodgers. So really, I don't think there's been time in these last cu- couple years, even these last five years, when you he always had a, a decent claim to that mm-hmm. role of being the best first baseman. Outside of the South, I don't think you're going to see a lot of people agreeing on that.
1: And then the two pitchers, Tariq Skubal and Shane McClanahan, both been absolutely dealing. Shea McClanahan is really freaking good. Watched him pitch against the Yankees over the weekend. Um, he's he's the real deal. He strikes out so many guys. I think he's already over 80 strikeouts on the season. Um, and Tariq Skubal for the Tigers. Um, you know, a guy that they that they're s- certainly hoping can be a big part of these this this uh, future that that they're building with all these young prospects and um he's been shoving this year there's really nothing else you can say um he's pitching better this year than than a, a casey mize was last year um mm. in the first half and we thought that casey mize should have been an all-star i think Tariq Skubal right now 55 strikeouts to nine walks yeah that is all-star level stuff um he should be in the all-star game, LJ. Tariq good ball. Put him in there. Put him in as a – seriously. Right yeah, now. He, Put him in.
2: 100%. He should. I mean, especially when you consider that team, the offense has not played up to its caliber. I mean, for Pete's sake, there's a really good – there's a very good claim to the fact that Miguel Cabrera is the best hitter on this team right now, which a few years ago you're saying, of course. Last year you're saying – oh dear, what the heck is going on right now? This is a team that's last in the league in scoring, a bottom 10 team in terms of starting pitching, and a top a top five team certainly in terms of relief, but there's not anyone that's really jumping out to you on that end. So he definitely has room here, especially seeing he's been the only healthy and the only good player that this team has had to come up. It's quite shocking how – bad a time they've had with injuries I mean can you imagine I, I I feel for Detroit fans right now you know you you have such a bright future with Scooball Manning and Mize and you've only been able to see one of them the entire the entire year pretty much and Eduardo Rodriguez looked awful before he went on the IL as well
1: yeah my uncle is a diehard Tigers fan um and he said it's it's been rough. Um, Javi Baez has not impressed him any bit either. He's under the Mendoza line right now. Um,
2: well, he's the perfect example of the... Um, he is the exact type of guy that I'm very much enjoying. Like, or I'm not enjoying them failing, but I'm enjoying the their style of play failing. The, the Javi Baez is the Osmani Grandals, the Joey Gallows. These low-contact... Try to rip it out of the park every time, guys. It doesn't work with the dead ball. You gotta find. You gotta change your swing. You gotta have something that's actually committed to baseball, not just hitting home runs.
1: Um, LJ, the the other thing about the Tigers, real quick, they called up Roger Clemens' son, Cody Ooh. Clemens. Um, he is a left-handed hitter. They have his position listed here as infield slash outfield. Um so I don't know exactly where he'll be playing but he was their second round pick in 2018. Um he made his debut yesterday. Um believe he was 0 for f- 0 for 3 with a walk. Um but LJ a guy with a 60 raw power grade, a 50 game power grade, um could certainly be a contributor in the bigs. If he was a second round pick, he's 26 now. Um Certainly a guy that we'll have to watch out for, um, especially knowing his dad, um, is literally Roger Clemens.
2: Yeah, no, he's definitely got a shot here. But, Brandon, are we clear for me to move on?
1: Yes. um, I've got Probably like one or two more, and then we're good, because I'm all good.
2: You're all good? Okay, I'm going to go quick. Um, First one. Actually, this is perfectly fitting to go quick, because we've got to talk about the greatest or most important part of the game nowadays. Pace of play who's doing it, who's doing it poorly, who's doing it well. I think this first one's kind of, a lot of it's like not on them. It's a very, um, what's the word? Like they're not in control of it. But in terms of hitters, who's got the fastest, who's got the slowest? Brendan Donovan is currently their. His median time between pitches is 15 and a half seconds between when he sees a pitch. Meanwhile, the part that I find more intriguing here, At the bottom of this list, Christian Vasquez, 24.4 seconds in between pitches. He is one of three Red Sox in the bottom five, in the five slowest paces of at-bats. I don't understand how that happens to them other than the fact that they, you know, you play the Yankees a bunch. You play a bunch of teams that, you know, it's high leverage, Rays, Blue Jays. All of these games in the AL East seem to go ridiculously slow. That's the only thing I can think of.
1: The Yankees and Rays played like a two-hour, twenty-four-minute game the other day, and then against the Orioles, we had like a two-hour, twenty-six-minute game. Uh, a few, like, but when do four. you
2: remember a Red Sox-Yankees game going less never, than three and a half? Never, never, never. On never. the pitching end, the far more controllable side of this, we've got Wade Miley taking home the pace of play crown of this first unofficial season with 11 and a half seconds between pitches.
1: That's his thing. Like, he's basically what Mark, what Mark, Mark Burley used to do. It's amazing. Miley.
2: Like, yeah, but it's the fact that you're, again, him and Brent Suter at 12, and then it really starts to drop off into the high 13s, 14s. And that's still, like, wicked fast compared to the average. On the other end, we go, and it's almost all closers at the bottom of this list. And... For a for record, this is with the bases empty. Th- these numbers I've been giving is bases empty. I haven't been talking about the runners on base. Giovanni Gallegos has been the slowest player in the league this year. 27.2 seconds between pitches with the bases empty. What purpose does this serve? He has not gotten into – he is one of 12 pitchers. No, actually there's more. There's a lot of pitchers actually who haven't gotten a fast pitch off, which is anything more than 15 seconds in between. But he throws. Wait,
1: so not once this season has he took 15 seconds or less to throw the
2: pitch. You're going to like this even more. 36.8% of the time, it takes him more than 30 seconds to throw the pitch. Whoa.
1: When there's runners on base, it's 83% of the time.
2: 83%, yeah. And I don't think he's even... Yeah, he is the slowest. Alex Colome jumps, and Devin Williams both jump way up on this in terms of runners on base. They certainly are not comfortable in those situations. But yeah.
1: I I, I didn't know that Giovanni Gallegos used to take this long. I thought that... What's his name? Uh, Diego Castillo... Used to be on the Rays. He's on the Mariners now. I thought that he took forever. Let's see. if I don't see him on this He's list. not
2: anywhere close to the top oh, of the wow. he's at
1: 101 based on the thing I was sorting by. Runners on base, his slow percentage is only 19. Tempo, 23.6. That's pretty good for runners on base. I mean, um, yeah, I, th- I used to and- think he took forever. But Wade Miley, LJ, how about the drop off for him when there's runners on base?
2: Three seconds to the next guy. Three seconds. He just doesn't care. Again, if you can keep going that much, like no one's going to be... How are you able to time off to steal a base in that type of situation when the guy's just moving that quick? But unless you have anything else to add to this, I just wanted to give one more interesting one. Just because I found this and I'm fascinated by it, meatball percentage is a stat on Baseball Savant. And that is literally just how many, what percentage of your pitches are middle-middle. And so I went to see who's been throwing a lot more middle-middle this year. The top change in this is Anthony Bender. Anthony Bender has had a 4.4% increase, increase in meatball pitches. 11% of his pitches have been right down the middle of this season. More interestingly, New York Yankee Wandy Peralta has had a 4.3% increase. Brandon, how has that affected his game?
1: Not much. Wandy's been one. Not much.
2: I, I I don't understand how you can have that many. Literally ten percent of your pitches are going straight down the middle, and you're not getting blown up. That's that's fascinating to me.
1: LJ, Wandy, if you must know, um, average exit velocity in the ninety-first percentile.
2: Amazing. Again, it's just it, it's like dumbfounding to see numbers like this. I mean, he's a he is the tenth. He throws the 10th most balls down the middle in the league this year, and he's able to be that high. I mean, you're talking about other good pitchers are up here too. You're talking to Wandy Peralta, Hansel Robles is at 11. Um, Adam Simbers up here, Kyle Finnegan, Phil Bickford, Keegan Aiken. I'm just naming notable names up off this. Michael Givens are all up here. And some of these guys, again, still are decent players. Heck, Tony Gonsolin's 14 on this list.
1: And he's like, been is, really good this year actually it's
2: not about where you throw it sometimes it's just about how you throw it exactly timing is key
1: all right well that'll do it for today's show a little bit of a longer episode but it's all right to have uh, one of these every every 10-15 days or so i guess um
2: yeah that's okay
1: check us out instagram twitter tiktok mlb daily pod Tomorrow we'll be back with, I believe, a little look into the American League gold gloves um, and where we're thinking um, there. But, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one.
2: See you mañana.
0: her.